welcome to the Byte Rabbit podcast, where we talk about WebXR, that's VR and AR on the web. My name is Jonathan, one of the founders of Byte Rabbit. Hi, my name is Florian, I'm the other founder of Byte Rabbit and a WebXR game developer. And my name is Darius, intern and WebXR developer at Byte Rabbit. Welcome everyone to the White Rabbit Podcast. Today we're joined by Ben Irvin, who you might know as the guy behind the WebXR Awards. He's been in web development since the 1990s and generally a digital polymath. And today, Ben, thanks for joining us. Um, the first question I want to get into is how did you end up in WebXR? Well, thanks so much for inviting me, guys. Very excited to talk to you. Um, well, WebXR is the natural evolution of the web. And I think that anybody who has put on an immersive browser in a Quest uh, in particular, which is the premier one, there's also Firefox Reality and Metachromium uh, that runs on the Steam platform. Um, when you don the headset for the first time and you go into a real experience, you realize that you're not just looking at a website, you're looking at an experience that you're inside of and a WebXR site is a place that you can go. And it can be a single user experience, it can be a multi-user experience, but um, the thing that's most significant about it is that it uses the W3C uh, WebXR device API specification, which essentially uh, in English, makes the JavaScript talk to the hardware. And um, the ability to create experiences in JavaScript opens up the possibility for 12 million JavaScript developers. There are about 20 million software developers in the world from stats that I looked up and 12 and a half million of them are JavaScript developers. So the actual number of people that are capable of creating experiences for this is a lot more than actually are right now. And what we saw in 2020, which I think of as year zero for uh, WebXR and, and broadly the adoption of VR, um, is that the um, pioneers who created these new experiences took them from just being demos that's like, okay, that's cool, that's nice, to, hey, this is fun and I can spend a few minutes here. and. What I think we're going to see in year one, which we're now in, uh, and I've already seen a few new things that have dropped since the beginning of the year that are very impressive. It's just going to scale from there. So that's why uh, I started the WebXR Awards, because I want to recognize the, the people who got there first, but I also want to inspire the people who are coming next. And uh, we, want to, we want the industry to adopt it, which is really the big uh part of it where first of all i don't think it's understood or known well enough people may have heard of it but no, more often than not when i take even experienced xr people into the browser they're like oh wow i didn't know this existed or take them to a website that they didn't know existed and so it makes it very interesting for them and in that all of the people that have rallied around the WebXR awards really recognize what uh, we have here in terms of it's a new era, it's a new medium, and that's what we want to celebrate. That's an amazing overview and introduction over the WebXR space. I love that. I think 
that's going to pick up a lot of people, especially who haven't heard about WebXR before. That raises so many follow-up questions. Let's start at the point where you say it's the next step for the web. Meaning, and you recently written a very great blog post outlining most of this. Uh, you go into different types of how the web previously was basically, you call it 2D in 2D. So what are the next steps there? Well, the original web is 2D in 2D. And even since the early days of the web, we've had 3D in 2D, where there used to be this sort of toy software called You Lead Cool 3D that you could make logos and you could light them and put materials on them and stuff like that. And this was 90s tech. And so it's, it's not like 3D is anything new. Um, and also going back to the 90s, you have a lot of the industrial software that Hollywood is was using then is still using today to make 3D experiences for a 2D medium. And what is evolving is, so first of all, there's the 2D in 3D step where if you put on like a set of Unreal glasses or you go in and you watch a 2D movie in a VR headset, you're watching 2D content in 3D. And for the most part, I don't think that that really does justice to 3D, but it actually does a tremendous amount of justice to the content because when you go into a experience and you look at what is just an HD video, but it looks like it's on a hundred foot tall screen, to you, that's a hundred foot tall screen. It's a it's five IMAX screens in one uh, thing. And it's just, it's mind blowing to see that. So that's how we came up with the meta multiverse concept where the WebXR Awards is going to be broadcast into different VR platforms. So we're going we're gonna to be focusing on the WebXR Awards as a sort of traditional broadcast in terms of delivering it as a web stream that's going to go out on different web streaming platforms. But the audience part of it, we're not so much trying to ship this to people watching it on YouTube or Twitch. We're trying to ship this to get people to put on their VR headsets go into Altspace or Engage or Tivoli Cloud or Hubs. So what I'm wondering is, uh, you've talked so much about the event, uh, what goes on to the organization of the event? Like how many people are involved in making this happen and what kind of technical difficulties are you facing making it? Well, we have, um, as I was just explaining, the two components there, the, the live stream and the multiverse. And our core team is David King, who's the executive producer, and he's handling the logistics of the broadcast itself. Julie Smithson is our MC and host for the ceremony, and she will be introducing the presenters and all of the segments of the show and you know, interacting with the live uh, portion of the event. And the whole event is going to be aired live from uh, 11 a.m. Pacific on Saturday, February 20th. So that's going to be uh, start at 7 p.m. Uh, in uh, GMT, 8 p.m. Central European time, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. And the first hour is going to be interviews. So Part of the purpose of this whole thing is to tell the story of the people that are involved because you go into these experiences and you have no idea who they were and you don't know the backstory uh, because there's really an epic story of all of these people who have over a long period of time been building the foundation for WebXR. 
And so that's why we're going to be honoring uh, Ricardo Cabello, uh, Mr. Dube, uh, who is the founder of 3JS, which is an incredible library that uh, is one of the most significant pieces of software on the web. And uh, so his commitment over time has really made this into something that is integrated into all parts of WebXR. A-Frame is another uh, story that needs to be told because a lot of the WebXR sites are built in A-Frame, including WebXRAwards.com. So credit where credit is due with those guys. And we're also going to honor Kent Bai. And this is our least WebXR-centric award. Kent uh, has reported on WebXR uh, many times on his Voices of VR podcast, but we're giving him what's called the Ohmsbuds Person Award because his work in privacy and ethics is really, it's an essential conversation that the world needs to be having right now as we're evolving into this new medium. And, you know, people knock social media, for example, uh, for it being the social experiment when it fails. And, but people who've been on social media and respect their privacy have sort of been aware of this all along. XR takes things to a whole new level where you have biometric sensors going on and there's a lot more data that can be gathered. So the people that are putting this conversation out into the public discourse about the responsible use of this Uh, It's very important that the vendors, the software and hardware makers are influenced by the public's desire to be respected as consumers and not be exploited the way that they have been on certain platforms over time in social media. Yeah. And that's also one of the reasons why... uh those features that we have in the WebXR spec take so much care to discuss. Often the topics are related to security and privacy, where, for example, we cannot have uh, traversal, link traversal in WebXR just like that, because it does mean a lot uh, in terms of privacy. Um, And often that means that these features don't get implemented as quickly, even though uh, some browsers might have early pro- prototypes really, really quickly. Yeah, that's definitely a very, very important point. And um, everybody working in that space is uh, to protect our privacy is definitely um, deserves to be honored in that respect. Absolutely. I mean, I think every developer in the space has come across 3JS and A-Frame. So uh, definitely good people honoring there. All right. So you mentioned WebXRAwards.com, which is a immersive website, right? So what went into building that? You mentioned it's built in A-Frame. I did. Um, and the thing that's really interesting about um, the immersive uh, medium is that Uh, Well, one of my favorite features is that you can fly. And so most websites have what are called colliders or, you know, it prevents you from going through walls and floors and stuff like that. And um, I took away the colliders and enabled flight and you can just look in a direction and move that way by uh, using the joystick. And there are other, you know, features I want to continue to add to it, but just in terms of the basic experience, we didn't want to celebrate WebXR with another 2D bootstrap site. <laughs> we wanted to we wanted to celebrate WebXR with WebXR, and and probably the the 
my favorite ingredient in this whole mix is the uh, trophy that was developed by uh, and designed by Linda Ricci. And she did an amazing job of this beautiful golden uh, reflective uh, trophy that has a, a base that can be customized, um, a nice polygonal piece of art to represent uh, polygons with a crown of the WebXR emblem. And so the thing that's also interesting about it is that it floats. So this statue wouldn't actually work in real life. Um, and part of the idea here is that we want, we're entering a new era where old school rules don't apply. And so the trophy is actually a virtual trophy. So the winners are going to get the personalized asset of this trophy oh, and cool. they can put that in their VR world as a, uh, in their virtual trophy case. And uh, so we're not really looking back in terms of, okay, well, how are we going to 3D print this? Which would be cool at some point, you know, maybe when COVID is over and we have re in real life ceremonies, we'll think about that. But this year, we're, we're giving a virtual trophy for a virtual award uh, to be used in a virtual context. Yes, very cool. Um, you mentioned that one of the intents of WebXR awards, like one of the core ideas or reasons you're building it, is to inform the industry and to get the industry into WebXR, to get them to use Uh, WebXR, one of those industries could be, or one of the ways they could be using it is advertising, for example, right? Yeah. But what are other ways or how does advertising help companies in WebXR? Well, it hasn't been, as far as I know, properly addressed yet by the industry. I mean, the reason that it hasn't been moved into yet is that the install base of devices has been really low. So um, things really started to come of age with the Quest One and the Quest browser. Certainly. And that's really only been a year in earnest that this, uh, it, it's almost a year ago this week that the final specification of the WebXR device API was released. And with it, uh, hello WebXR, It goes back before that, where there was the web VR spec, and then they realized that they couldn't bake web AR into web VR. So they created web XR and they started transitioning in 2019. And then with this new spec, uh, they still don't have web, X, web AR fully built. It's a module of web XR that will hopefully be done sometime this year. But the tipping point right now that we're at is that not only did people create these experiences in 2020, but the Oculus Quest 2 was released with more power under the hood, uh, better RAM, better processing, better graphics card, um, Wi-Fi 6 support, all of these things that are just, it's an improved device, but significantly it's been purchased. So under the Christmas tree this year, people, Uh, unknown numbers of people right now. Uh, it, I, it's just a matter of time before Oculus releases both the number, the sales figures for the third quarter of 2020, and also the holiday downloads from the App Store. And last year, it was a big cause for celebration that they made a million dollars at Christmas for selling apps. And that was a big deal a year ago. Those numbers are going to be significantly increased. I can't wait to find out how much 
but this is going to be the tipping point that makes advertisers say, hey, we have an audience here. Advertisers want metrics that they can turn and say, hey, well, we've got this, you know, we can reach this number of people. But what I don't think they fully have wrapped their heads around yet is that they have a new medium to play with and the old rules don't apply. They need to completely rethink how things are approached in a sixth off medium. And they can have a lot of fun with that. And what I'm looking forward to seeing is when multi-million dollar advertising budgets are released on this medium and that they hire the best talent and the best developers um, and get celebrities in on this. And then people will be like, oh, wow, I'm missing out here. And whether it be the quest, uh, a competitor that's coming out, uh, whether it's on another um, supported platform like Metachromium on Steam or something like that, that the experiences that advertisers will be able to not only create one-off experiences, which has been happening in VR for a couple of years. You know, we had Dead Mouse and Absolute Vodka and Spider-Man Homecoming on Rift and stuff like that. And these are all sort of high-end, Unreal Engine produced experiences. For WebXR, advertisers can fund experiences and do their own product placement in it, or they can just have one-off experiences. There is no limit to what can go on, but there's also no limit to the creativity that can be unleashed with a big budget. And that is what's going to happen in 2021. And that's why we want to be in front of and evangelizing this platform and this medium. uh, Because once those JavaScript developers start making experiences for this, it's, it's really going to take off. Yeah, I definitely agree. The uh, WebXR has seen enormous growth over the last two years. We've experienced this on Construct Arcade as well, especially like the numbers around Christmas were indeed pretty crazy, even compared to the Christmas the year before. And yeah, I'm looking forward where this is going. And you're totally right. There is this new medium that they're not aware of. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, when this is actually going to happen, when people realize, when the industry realizes and then starts pouring money into it. Um, What do you think, though, is keeping WebXR, holding WebXR up? Like what's slowing it down or why do companies don't adopt it quite yet? Well, the biggest thing is lack of awareness, pure and simple. Um, Second thing is uh, the install base, like I just talked about, yeah. the numbers uh, haven't been presented yet. So the the marketers who are who are in front of it intellectually, like they get it, but they need to convince their bosses to do that. So I think that that will be a big tipping point right there. When the Oculus 2 Q4 2020 numbers come out, that's going to get a huge amount of attention. So that's going to like justify the business case. So that's the most important thing. But in terms of what's holding it back, I think that we're going to be looking at a two to three year progress window where if you hearken back to the early days of the web and what was possible in the mid to late nineties compared to the early two thousands, this is where we are. And it's a matter of 
knowing how history repeats itself and and the natural evolution of a new medium and a new product but when apple gets into the game now no one knows what apple's doing <laughs> no one ever knows yeah <laughs> but one of the things that i find a very compelling piece of evidence is that apple is hiring webxr developers and they've advertised for it. They uh, managed to hire one of the best WebXR developers out there, Fernando Serrano, uh, who had his hand in many of the different things, and he's nominated in, in several different categories this year, that the talent base is going to need to, uh, is going to grow. And so there's a very narrow talent pool right now that can be hired for this. And but it's the the performance of the devices that is probably the number one limitation that we're seeing right now coming out of 2020 into 2021 when the hardware specs improve the software platform supports more because the the webxr modules are still a work in progress um and when those things come to fulfillment what we're going to see in tandem with the hardware, in tandem with more developers, is that WebXR is going to be really accessible. And one of the things that's very exciting for me as a, as a web person is that uh, the App Store distribution model is going to always be what it's going to be. We're always going to need high-end experiences that are going to need high-end graphics cards. So there will always be PC VR and tethered uh, VR experiences. But the standalone component of it, where people can don a headset easily with low friction, go into an immersive experience, uh, the same thing will happen when we go to AR. That evolution two, three years from now is going to be incredibly significant. And it's not the type of thing where you just get into this gold rush late. The people who are doing it now are going to be better positioned, both from a development standpoint, from a market first mover advantage standpoint, to really understand sixed off experiences, because there's just something that happens when you enter, there's an aha moment that I don't think enough industry professionals have had yet. And when that happens, and really this gold rush starts in earnest, which I think is going to be this year, two, three years from now, that's what we're going to see is this um, sudden, oh, wow, everybody's doing this, let's get in on it. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, we've been doing this for years now. And the body of work will be huge by 2023, 2024. Very much hope so, too, yeah. It's already growing really fast. I feel like there's always something new to check out every week on uh, many social media platforms. And it's just a great community that's been growing. And uh... I think so, too. I'm, I'm the, the community is really what this is for and by and all about, uh, the WebXR Awards, is because XR in general is a great community. And the WebXR is sort of a sub-sub-niche right now, but as it grows, it's going to be uh, seen as one of, as the most important of the distribution platforms for uh, immersive content. 
I fully agree on that, yes. You mentioned uh, the repeating patterns in history, and I'd be very interested, since you have so much experience, like starting web development a significant time ago, um, what kind of like patterns do you see repeating with WebXR? I would say that Flash is one of the most significant historical milestones that we can look at and learn a number of lessons from. So number one, it was what was, it facilitated audio, video, and animation and interactivity before JavaScript was really capable of doing it, where other plugins on the landscape weren't really so complete, like you had Real and QuickTime, and those were cumbersome, inefficient formats that didn't last Uh, people didn't like them, invasive players and so forth. But hmm. the Flash plugin ultimately met its doom when, you know, Steve Jobs basically did a John Wick to it. <laughs> and the the it was the end of Flash in late April 2010, where in one open letter to the public, Steve Jobs declared that Flash would never run on iOS. And I had been developing Flash for 11 years mm -hmm. at that point. And it was shocking and stunning and heartbreaking. It was a where were you moment in the evolution of the web. But it was also very real in terms of the considerations that Jobs addressed in that letter were 100% valid. Mm -hmm. And the lesson that we can learn from what happened to Flash is that These plugins, like right now, what we're seeing is a lot of sort of proprietary ways of doing things. On one hand, we can appreciate what people are doing because there's a lot of innovation uh, around that. And so people aren't waiting for the WebXR device API spec to be perfect and all things to all people. And they're writing their own viewers. And the most significant part of that are the other protocols and the other languages that are part of that ecosystem, which include uh, WebGPU, uh, WebRTC, and the WebAssembly language. WebRTC is the communication layer that is essential to be able to create multi-user experiences. And WebGPU is going to talk to the graphics card, which is going to handle a lot of the complex rendering uh, because the mathematics involved in that is very heavy and not necessarily the best job for a CPU. So between those three things, in addition to the WebXR device API specification, It is very, uh, it's a powerful combination, but it's not fully baked yet. So people need to be patient. People need to understand that these are things to understand that they can be used, but the getting back to why, you know, the lessons learned from the, the history of the web, these are protocols, languages. So when people adopt these open standards, all boats rise and that is the number one lesson that I'm um, promoting as a web developer who lost too much of his life to Internet Explorer uh, <laughs> workarounds in the 2000s, trying to make them play nice with Firefox and the early Mozilla iterations. When things are native to a uh, standard, 
and that all of the browsers work the same, it creates an efficiency. And this is also, you know, to the marketers listening out there, you know, having done a lot of work in the agency world doing interactives, what the biggest, most onerous deliverable is the QA across devices. And what I don't want to see happen is another sort of uh, situation where you have competing browsers that think that, oh, they're doing this better. And, you know, like we're doing things the right way and you're not. And so what that does is it puts a pain point on developers to try to satisfy, oh, well, we need to make this work in the lowest common denominator browser. And two things have happened since those days. One is back in those days, the browser was baked into the OS. Like if you, you Internet Explorer 6 was a torment for developers for its entire run because Windows XP didn't update it. Now you can update a browser. And so if you load the Quest browser, it probably already has the latest Chromium release in it. This is very important because you can trust that it's going to work across Chromium browsers. And Chromium is the core of Chrome, Brave, Opera, and even Edge now. And uh, Firefox, which the Mozilla team did a absolutely amazing, groundbreaking, legendary work in making WebXR happen. And they deserve to be thanked and honored, but they're running their own uh, WebXR core uh, or their own browser core outside of Chromium with the WebXR device. But this is another thing where developers need to be testing for performance, testing for continuity between the experiences, uh, especially because Firefox runs on additional PC VR platforms. And that is really uh, something that is a big challenge to try to rein in in terms of creating uniform experiences because it gets costly for if, if marketers aren't paying for the experience to be built and run on different platforms, the developers are paying for it. And that's something that we don't want to see happen again is the thankless task of, oh, it's not running in the lowest common denominator. So you have to spend your weekend writing workarounds for it. <laughs> and the developers out there feel my pain from you know, the early days of responsive design. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, SVGs aren't supported on iOS 8, yeah. you know, things like that. We don't need to relive that. We have learned from that. And I'm hoping that Google and Apple and Mozilla and Microsoft and Amazon and all the major players in this can play nice with each other, you know, Facebook, you know, like Facebook said, hey, let's use the Chrome core, you know, but Facebook is also going to have its own OS when its uh, eventual next gen hardware drops. I, I completely agree on, on the point of browsers not being a bottleneck of some sorts in terms of deployment and development. I think iOS also has, has shown itself to be problematic in some areas because it's a closed platform and it only allows um, WebKit uh, browsers to run on it. So you only, you're really dependent on what Apple allows to be on the devices or on the standards and what standards they choose to adopt. So that's why we haven't seen any WebXR uh, content running on iOS besides with the WebXR viewer that Mozilla developed, right? Well, 
but interestingly though a frame has a frames uh experiences like if you open up uh webxrawards.com it's it's a bit fast in terms of when you press on it you move a little bit too quickly but you can navigate in a frame in uh in ios natively <laughs> and and that's something good in itself but you you mentioned webkit which is what my prediction of what Apple is going to do with WebXR is they're going to basically WebKitify WebXR for their own platform. But the important thing is that they support what experiences are available for that. And I'll be particularly interested to see what they do with their hybrid device mm -hmm. that has, you know, discussed, leaked, whatever, whatever the fate of that is. Uh, WebKit for Apple Glass is essentially what we're going to get. What uh, and they're going to make sure that it is performant and it sort of complies with all of the uh, the specifications. But the the important thing is that I hope that Apple lives by the same ethic that Steve Jobs killed off Flash with uh, by saying that you know open standards are the way to get this done. And if they integrate WebXR as the open standard into Apple Glass or Glass OS, whatever that is going to be, <laughs> that's going to be the real game changer. And that's what's really going to bring the hordes of marketers to, uh, to the platform. I already see in uh, discussions with agencies that most of them are focused on AR instead of WebVR. And uh, they obviously use um, mostly mobile devices at this point with uh, most of them using eighth wall or zap AR or uh, ARGS, any of those. Like you said, I think when, once uh, Apple gets into the game, it's going to be a completely different ball game. And, and that's valid for right now. Um, and when you look at the projected, you know, billions and billions of dollars that the AR market uh, for the 2D device install base, over the next couple of years, like we're seeing a gold rush going on for that right now. And, and that marketers are serving that niche, but what I think needs to happen and what the, the smart money is doing is that they're investing in understanding that six off is a different medium. It is not transposing, going back to 3d and 2d. That's essentially what AR is. And whether you're talking about Snapchat filters or inspectable exploded view products, um, you know, different ways of navigation products that work, you're still looking at a 2D medium and it's not immersive. And that I don't think people know what the matrix is when it comes to putting on, getting into sixth off and seeing what the possibilities are when a website is a place you can go as opposed to a thing that you look at or something that you scroll through or something that you bend and twist with your thumbs or the you know project onto your face as makeup or or filters and cat ears and and so forth and sparkly effects ar is much much more than that uh the ar cloud is uh something that i wrote about in my my piece there yeah, so the AR cloud, you briefly touched on that in the blog post where you mentioned that is something that uh, basically can 
for example, connect to a location data in the cloud and then present exactly the right AR experience uh, dependent, for example, on the location. Do you want to like go deeper into what the AR cloud can enable and how the industry might be using it, for example? Well, AR being sort of the inverse of VR, where in VR, you're immersed in a virtual world that is created and you have a skybox and you can't see through it. Uh, and you're, for all intents and purposes, inside of it and it has its own dimension. AR being something that is projected onto your environment and is constrained by the dimension of your environment uh, is going to need experiences for people to adopt the same way that the chicken and the egg scenario where you have VR and AR, there's not enough VR content, it's not driving adoption, that's slowly changing with the adoption of the devices. As viable AR devices hit the market in two to three years, one of the most significant content related paradigm shifts that we're going to see is that when people are out in public and they want information about it, it can look a little dystopian with what's called annotated reality. And one of the things that we don't want to have is like, ads jumping at us all over the place and, and uh, every little piece of thing being a data point. I think that the important part of that is that we have our own personal filters of what we let through with that. But the ability to pin content to a location, there will be many layers to that. And there will be private layers and there'll be public layers and there will be historical layers. And it'll be very interesting because in some respects, we'll be able to time travel. So, for example, you could have a reenactment of something that happened in this place in AR, you know, whether it be a historical battle or a speech or um, just see a historical figure walking around. Uh, and you may be able to dial through time and be like, okay, well, let's go back 200 years and see uh, what happened in this location. And these, what Microsoft calls spatial anchors and you know Azure has branded it that and then iOS or ARKit has branded it AR anchors. It's pinning data to geographic locations. And there's gonna be a tremendous amount of creativity that is made possible by seeing holograms of the past, present and future in physical places. And when people realize, oh wow, well, I'm missing out on this content that I can't see. It's going to be like a, a seventh sense, if you will, of, wow, I can experience things that aren't there. It is going to be an amazing learning tool uh, for people to get context. It's going to be a great promotion tool for advertisers who are dropping experiences onto things and they'll that will be funding these experiences. And as long as it's done tastefully, and as long as it's done with the respect for the consumer so that people aren't just bombarded uh, with information to the point of wanting to shut it off, then it's going to be extremely powerful. And, and I'll just 
end that part by talking about I, what I think is the importance of the open AR cloud. There's a group, openarcloud.org, and they are doing work that I think is very important where the same way open source software is important to the developer community, having an open AR cloud where you have hooks where people can, can push content into the AR cloud uh, without it being a walled garden or, or governed thing, uh, people need to be able to tune in to content that was independently produced and that AR isn't something that is only for the companies that can afford to make it, that developers can uh, send it to there and, and be creative with it. All right. So Ben, one last question here, uh, and that is desks. You build your own desks, and I find that amazing. Like not just for ergonomic reasons. I'm like a huge fan of ergonomics uh, out of various things, like using split keyboards and all that kind of stuff. But what do you think about virtual desks? Like Oculus Quest in their last Facebook Connect showed off their vision for infinite office. And what do you think about that? What do you think where the future is heading there? Well, to qualify by saying that. Uh, I haven't seen Infinite Office for myself yet. I haven't, you know, I'd love to be on their beta program, Facebook, to mm -hmm. send, me a, send me a link. I'd love to check it out. I, and, and thank you for asking me about my, my desks. Uh, I've been building, I'm actually, I have my laptop resting on my original 1999 augmented just table that I put my laptop on. And I've been building and rebuilding my desks over the last two decades because of ergonomics and uh when you it's like having a comfortable bed you know you're spending <laughs> your life in bed so you know you might as well get one that is a healthy bed to sleep on and comfortable and that you sleep well um same thing goes if i'm spending a third of my life at my desk um it needs to be uh you know support good health and and most importantly productivity so or no health is more important Productivity second, <laughs> ergonomics support both. The transition into a virtual desktop area is going to be very interesting because, um, first of all, I don't think that we're there yet in terms of what we want to do. I think that there's more physical real world hardware that is going to be introduced like CES last week had uh, transparent OLED screens. And sci-fi has been fantasizing about this stuff for a very long time and it's created, and you know, it's uh, Marvel and Star Wars references are, are made ad nauseum about, you know, XR in general. But the, um, th there was one in particular that reminds me of these uh, things. There was a show called The Cape in 2010. It was a very short-lived show. Not surprised if you haven't heard of it, but it had, Summer Glau, who was in Firefly and other sci-fi mm -hmm. series, she's sort of the ops person for the cape. And she's sitting there and she's got her sort of projected holographic sort of desk as imagined in 2010. Mm -hmm. We're actually getting there, you know, in terms of there being a clear pane of glass in the real world. And one of the things that I did in 2014 was I bought touchscreen monitors only to discover that it's really impractical to be doing this. It is not yeah. economic. You don't want to be like, even though you can have a 28 inch iPhone and go like that and move stuff around with it, you don't really want to. It's not as efficient as a mouse and it never will be. 
Mm -hmm. um, and that brings us to, in XR, the inefficiency of the pointer controller. Like mm -hmm. on one hand, you have the sort of gaming buttons and you have the, the middle finger that you can grab with and the trigger finger that you can point and, and select with. Text input sucks in uh, XR right now and voice isn't alone isn't going to improve it. Uh, so for example, in the WebXR browser, if you say HTTP colon slash slash, it will literally write the words slash slash, mm -hmm. you know, colon slash slash as words. Yeah. So there's context to what you're interfacing with. So hand tracking is another uh, thing that is going to move forward. So I think that of all the things that are still early and half baked about XR, it's input. And that I think that we haven't seen as much innovation as we need in that space yet, where none of them really satisfy what the human ergonomic aspect of that is, where if you want to write efficiently, there's no way to do that in XR yet. Mm -hmm. There's no virtual keyboard that is efficient yet, whether it's hand tracking, what, like pointing a, a controller or something and pecking out things on a keyboard is mm -hmm. the most inefficient thing going today. And yep. it's a hurdle to clear. As far as having things laid out in front of you, you have a lot of resolution, but there's a practical factor where fonts need to be of a certain size to be able to be readable. Mm -hmm. And then there's the physical turning radius. Now I've, I've maxed out physically what is practical in terms of, <laughs> uh, I was running four 32 inch monitors with a 32 inch monitor in the middle. And that physically was about as much as is practical because you don't want to turn your head too much Yeah. and the vertical thing. So there's a, what you can max out in there. And then there is what you can project into that space. So dying to try it, but aware of the, the human physical limitations. And when the engineers and the designers who are figuring out these ergonomics and the practicalities of that space, that's when we're going to see the real innovation. Yep. Or that's where that's where virtual desktops will become a thing that everybody wants. Yeah, I think they made a good point though with like tracking the keyboard in VR and with hand tracking and a mouse. I think maybe they're onto something. So we'll see how that'll pan out. And yeah, so to make sure that every one of our listeners got this, when is WebXR Awards going to happen? When should people tune in? It airs live on Saturday, February 20th, starting at 11 a.m. Pacific. That's 2 Eastern, uh, 7 GMT, uh, 8 Central European time. Uh, and that will be the, the first hour will be uh, the virtual red carpet uh, hosted by Sophia Mishasha, followed by the ceremony that is hosted by Julie Smithson. And um, if your VR folks... Uh, there will be several watch parties. Um, partners are uh, setting up experiences inside of Altspace and Engage, Tivoli Cloud, and uh, there's a, a hubs experience. And those will all be available on the website to be able to give you the specifics of how to find them. But the 
idea being, and what I think hasn't really been done before, there have been multiple worlds that uh, content has been streamed to, but we're going to try to stream that back into our show. There'll be some latency there, but we're going to be checking in on those watch parties. So the the hosts of those multiverse experiences will get the Zoom URL to bring us back into the live show and we'll, you know, sort of give shout outs to them and and wave at them with a <laughs> 10 second delay or whatever that works out to be, but just to give you that sort of live feel and and recognize everybody that has uh, generously contributed to sharing the experience with other people. Awesome. And finally, where do people find you on Twitter, find WebXR Awards on Twitter, LinkedIn, email? Uh, at WebXR Awards on Twitter is sort of the key central social media platform. Uh, we have a Facebook group and a LinkedIn group and at WebXR Awards on Instagram. Uh, haven't really been pushing that channel too much, but will. Uh, but, you know, at WebXR Awards is the handle and uh, webxrawards.com is the site. And if you go there in an immersive browser, you can grab the statues and see who the nominees are and throw them into the abyss. <laughs> and uh, and cool. also uh, there's a hamburger menu in the upper left-hand corner of the um, non-immersive, like when you're outside of the immersive mode, uh, it opens up a drawer and you can open up the experiences that are nominated and uh, do them for yourself. And that's the point is, is to sort of spread the good word about this great work that folks have been doing in hopes that people will keep making more and that there'll be more industrial support for the WebXR platform. Awesome. Any last words you want to get out? Well, uh, thank you guys very much for uh, inviting me on your show. Uh, I love uh, Construct Arcade. What you guys did is great. Uh, Back to Space Experience uh, is up for uh, uh, Game of the Year award. And uh, I don't know where things are going to land in terms of, of the winner there, but uh, I, I came across your site early on and really appreciate what you guys have done in terms of, uh, I love the concept of it being an arcade and the arcade machines that you have in there. Uh, that's very cool. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys uh, are up to uh, over the next year in terms of creating more uh, fun experiences for people. Cool, yeah. Thanks and uh, uh, shout out to Sourcecoot for uh, the developer of that game. And Sourcecoot uh, did, did a really great job with that. So Ben, thank you for coming on the show. And to all of you listeners, hear you guys next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.